0: There's a section that we talk about being default aggressive, right? That's one of the mindsets that we teach about being default aggressive. And I think sometimes when we go and we teach these workshops, people have the misconception that default is aggressive. I think they think of someone in the military, right? Who's Very direct, who's yelling out orders, who's being aggressive with people. And I say, hey, listen, being default aggressive is not actually about being aggressive towards other human beings. Being default aggressive is simply being aggressive towards being a problem solver. If you see a problem, go fix it.
1: Welcome to the Waste No Day podcast, a podcast specifically for and about the home services industry as it relates to plumbing, heating, air conditioning, and electrical. More than a podcast, Waste No Day is a credo, a determination, a mindset. It is a never-ending discipline. It is a refuse-to-lose pursuit. It is a wake-up call every morning to waste no day. Now, here's your hosts, Brian Burton and Nate Minnick. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Waste No Day podcast. Your hosts, Nate and Brian, hanging out with you again, and we are excited to start into part two of our default aggressive conversation with none other than Navy SEAL Carlos Mendez. It's going to be a fantastic conclusion to the conversation, and we're really looking forward to hearing what he has to say. Uh, It was already a great introduction uh, last week with his story and understanding more about his background, and I think we might even get into more of that this time as we continue uh, along those topics. But for now, we're going to have a little bit of a breakdown for ourselves, and we're going to turn to Brian for our quote. Nearly 13% of all jobs in the United States are full-time
2: sales positions. That's one in every eight people making it the largest profession in the world. Selling is also the highest paid of all professions. Organizations invest over $1 trillion annually into their sales forces. The average company spends almost $15,000 to fill a sales position. Nevertheless, People consistently rank selling among the most cringeworthy professions. Thank God for politicians, lawyers, and the media. The irony is that the world needs salespeople more than virtually any other profession. Richard Fenton and Andrea Waltz. When they say no. No. That is a book that will be uh, touted on next week's episode of the Waste No Day podcast. I
1: see a little precursor. Okay. yeah,
2: Great. Great chapter. Great book so far, but great chapter it's, nice. it's paper book, you know it's not on audio yet, so <laughs> I'm not gonna be able to get through it right, even though it's you know thick as your thumbnail it's like <laughs> this reading thing is not for me
1: well, what it is for you is uh, great conversations with Carlos, and like i said i'm I'm looking forward to the conclusion of it yeah we
2: we're gonna dive into some more um some leadership stuff here today thankfully we we did quite a long intro last week, and uh Didn't have a lot of time for Lowe's, but today is going to be a lot more about Lowe's.
1: Absolutely. And really excited to dive into this concept of default aggressive, which we touched on a little bit last week, Uh, but he's going to go into more detail about what that looks like for him. And certainly, uh, you know, the experiences that he's had in his life have called for that type of environment and that type of mindset many, many times. And now he's working with Echelon Front, which is uh, the training arm uh, with Jocko Winick, And, uh, you know, it's one of their default principles that they teach, so to speak, uh, in terms of bringing that into the business world. And it's a really great idea to bring to our listeners as well, which makes for a great conversation today. Hey, I did get some feedback
2: on the intro from last week, (laughs) which you'll be happy to hear talking about the CPAP.
1: Oh, really? I had completely forgotten that we had spent such a very long time talking about the the CPAP. The fact that we did that. Yes.
2: (laughs) Uh, Most of the people who contacted me said that they had CPAPs and had not used them in a long time and forgot what benefit it brought about from using them. So that was cool that a lot of people hit me back up, said as a result of that intro, they started using their CPAP again. And are blown away by the quality sleep they're getting and how much better they feel. And I did the same thing. And nice. I'm like, I don't know why, you know? Well, I know why, because it... I don't know. When you're tired, man, and you hit... Like, you're heading for bed, it's time to go to bed. It's not time to get out your Darth Vader mask. Yeah, I understand. Strap this thing to your head. It's like, you just don't want to deal with all that. And then it's got this water tank, and you have to... I mean, me, I like to empty it out every night, or every morning or every other morning and just let it dry out because... You know, you can't let it mildew or something. It's a lot. It's too much. It's too much to do late at night or first thing in the morning. It's just something you don't want to deal with. So you just stop and you feel fine. And then weeks and months go by and you don't feel so fine. But after a few months or years, you realize you don't feel like that anymore. And the one way to find out is to strap that thing back to your head for a night and see how you feel in the morning. And you wake up like, oh, man, that's what a night of sleep feels like. And aside all the health benefits, so if you didn't catch last week's episode, well, that would be pretty weird that you started at part two, but uh, just in case you didn't, uh, go see your doc, go see a doc, tell him you want a sleep study done, you want to find out how much sleep you're getting at night, if you have sleep apnea, one way to tell, do you snore? If you snore, it's a real good chance you have some sleep apnea. We don't work for CPAP. It's probably not even a brand name. (laughs) I think mine's like AirSource or something. But, uh, yeah, we're not getting any kickbacks for talking about CPAPs. But it's a huge benefit to a lot of people, particularly if you're overweight. Uh, But it doesn't even matter. Like I was a very scrawny kid who snored. So if you have sleep apnea, don't get great sleep. Snore. Go get a sleep study done high blood pressure, all these other things are caused by it. So we just want to make sure we put that out there. We're not going to mention it every week. Although if Nate keeps giving me these looks, I'm going to mention it every week.
1: It would not surprise <laughs> me.
2: <laughs> so um, with that being said, let's move on to our review. We'll get that out of the way, and then we'll uh, usher Lowe's back in here.
1: Nice. Uh, what is our review of the week this time, Brian? So I want to apologize to the –
2: reviewers that got skipped over this week but it just is what it is i'm sorry i get to decide what order we go in and we're going to skip to one that was uh dropped thursday the title is this podcast is a scam exclamation point wait is this one you want to read out loud
1: oh yeah buddy you know i like criticism okay ready for some criticism let's do it five stars i've seen five star reviews that go the other way though
2: It's crazy to think these guys put out this level of quality of a podcast for free. For free. Poor dudes are getting scammed by us listeners. (laughs) I've been listening to this podcast. I swear I expected to see like a Burton or a Minick last name on this. I've been listening to this podcast every day for the past few days since discovering it. My manager sent it to me and I was like Neo taking the red pill and seeing how deep the rabbit hole goes. Nice. You got to be a fan of the matrix to get that one. (laughs) So much good info here to learn to become better in the service industry and step up your game. Honest sales, quality service, great advice. I love hearing the different perspectives and how different guys word different things when explaining products or handling objections. It's helping me a lot. My only request would be doing more role play with top producers of IAQ, system sales, etc., in real time as if they were talking to the client. Lastly, the intro and outro music is addicting to listen to. I always feel good or feel better when I throw this podcast on. Rant over. Love, Brocky D, a.k.a. Brock Dominguez from Emergency Air in Phoenix, Arizona.
1: Nice, man. That's yeah. that That's one of those reviews that bring him back around. I like it. My
2: goodness. I was, I was reading through that one like, ugh, let me read it again. You know what? I didn't catch the third sentence. Let me read it one more time, you know? <laughs> 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 just, just finish arguing with someone from the leadership team. I better go back and read Brocky D's review again. So we'll get back into the normal order uh, next week, but... Brocky D we definitely appreciate that review and uh, how this podcast makes you feel about what you do for a living with the selling piece we do feel a weight of responsibility to make professional and honest selling okay and not like something to be ashamed of particularly in the trades so thanks man we appreciate that you see it the way
1: we do Yeah, man, we really appreciate that. And, of course, if you're one of those out there who also appreciates uh, what you're hearing on this content week in and week out, we'd sure love to hear from you. And you can drop us a review on any of the platforms that we're on, five stars, comments, Facebook, whatever. We'll appreciate however you do it. Uh, But we really uh, would appreciate you sharing this and uh, letting us know your feedback. It's helpful for us and, of course, is encouragement for everybody in the trades to Uh, keep going on with what we need to be doing and what we need to be doing right now is starting with part two of our interview with Carlos and we're going to pick up right where we left off last time and put Carlos Mendez back in your passenger seat. Our guest today is returning. His name is Carlos Mendez. I did a fair bit of an introduction for him last week, but he is a former Navy SEAL who has quite a resume and has deployed multiple times in service of our country. And we're so grateful for that. Right now, he is working for Jocko's Echelon Front Organization, doing training in the business world. And we're so fortunate to invite him back for part two of his conversation. We're going to pick up with that right now. So, I mean, speaking, you mentioned it there just a moment ago, but Echelon Front is what you're doing right now. Talk to us about what that is and your main responsibilities within the organization.
0: So, Echelon Front, we're a leadership consultancy agency. Uh, It was started by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin, who are the co-authors of Extreme Ownership and the Dichotomy of Leadership, and of course, Jocko has written several other books on leadership. But what we do is, you know, we come in and we teach companies what leadership looked like in the SEAL teams for us and how we use the four laws of combat to lead. And, you know, the four laws of combat are cover and move, simple, prioritize and execute, and then decentralized command. And we keep it simple for a reason. You know, we always say, hey, listen, leadership is actually pretty simple, but it's not easy. And the reason it's not easy is because all these leadership principles that we talk about, they actually go against our human nature. And that's actually what we teach in the workshops is like, hey, what? let's say, for example, cover move, right? Cover move is about building relationships with people, right? We're talking about proactively building relationships with equal because that's the foundation of, of, of everything. You can't accomplish anything in a team. You can't be a leader. You can't have any influence over anybody if you don't have a good relationship with them. But naturally, as human beings, we don't like to build relationships with people that aren't in our close vicinity or don't have a lot or that we don't have a lot in common with, right? Usually, when we go to work, we do what? We are like, oh, I like that person, right? We get along. So, yeah, we'll build a relationship. But maybe you leave that other individual out who you don't have a lot in common with. When in reality, your mentality should be hey, listen, every relationship that isn't as strong as it should be at work that's a wasted opportunity for our team to be as strong as it can be. Um, or being simple, right? That's the second law of combat. I always say, hey, being simple doesn't come naturally to us as human beings. It actually requires us to think about it and make an effort. Because think about this. The first time you write an email, the first time you come up with a process, the first time you explain something to somebody, it's very rare that the first time you did that is the most simple form, most simple and efficient form, right? Usually that simplicity that efficiency, it comes through revision, right? You, you, you reread the email and you're like, oh, man, that's that's really wordy. I should take this out. Or, hey, this process, man, it's kind of complicated. I should simplify it this way. Or when you see that look of confusion on that other person's face when you're trying to explain something and you're like, okay, I, I didn't do a good job of explaining it. Way too complicated. I need to simplify it. But those things don't come naturally to us. So that's what we do. We go around to companies and we do, you know, half day workshops, full day workshops. Um, I'll do, you know, keynotes as well at conferences. Uh, and then uh, the last thing I do is strategic advising, which is basically uh, I, I kind of ride along with a leader for, you know, an extended period of time. And, and we work through some of the problems that they're dealing with in their company. But that, that's it in a nutshell, I guess.
1: <laughs> and how long have you been doing that? Um, I've been doing
0: it for about a year and a half now.
1: That's fantastic. If if my math's correct, uh, with all your experience, you're now 75 years old. Yeah, please be in your 60s <laughs> or 70s for crying out
2: loud. <laughs> he's I'm, like, I'm he's in a my seal. Mid-40s. You've done mergers and acquisitions. You're now a trainer <laughs> for Jocko Willing. You're what a brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Ugh. I need to go hey, back
0: I'm in my mid-40s yeah um, <laughs> great it's funny That's great when I tell people that I am you know I was in the Navy for 20 years I became an vest maker I see it when I do workshops I can see them doing the math in their head because I do have kind of a baby face too and so they're like yeah I heard, heard about I, that I know I know from Mrs. Math.
2: Burton recently <laughs> 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 Lose is not hard on the eyes something that I said baby can you can you, uh, do that with someone that I can actually take please for crying out
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but listen, I always say I've I've just had a privilege of of having a, a pretty awesome life in terms of experiences and and meeting some pretty phenomenal people and and I, listen, I credit the Navy and the SEAL teams to opening a lot of doors for me that quite frankly I, I probably wouldn't have had you know because I, like I said I moved out of the house had no education had no idea like even what I wanted to do or how this country truly worked because it's not something my parents talked to me about you know they were immigrants to this country too so they didn't know. Like, you know, the different pathways. Now I can share that with my son. You know, I'm like, hey, listen, son, here's all the different paths you can take. You can take the military. You can do a trade school. You can go to college if you want. And, you know, now he has all these options that for me as a kid, no one ever talked to me about that. They're just like, hey, when you graduate, you got to move out. <laughs> that was my guidance, you know, um, and that's kind of scary for, for, you know, a 17, 18 year old kid. Absolutely.
2: You, you, um, one of my favorite, probably my, probably my favorite, uh, principle you guys teach at Echelon Front would have to be, um, decentralized command. I just love the whole idea around that. And, and, uh, hearing you guys, anytime I can hear you guys train on it, I'm all over it, but one that the first one that really stuck out to me that I don't, I don't remember the first time I heard it, whether it was on the podcast or in the book or in some of your training, but, uh was default aggressive. And I heard a story of yours on a podcast where you were talking about um, what, I, what I understood to be at least your first experience with the need to be default aggressive, uh, which was the, the bunnies, as uh, my wife calls it. Would you mind talking about your first experience with the need for being default aggressive and, and maybe how that transitioned you into somebody who was going to go at life like that?
0: Yeah, sure. So what's funny is that everybody I come across that listen to my podcast, that's the first thing they want to talk about is the rabbit story. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, not, not, not the 20 years of the two They want to talk about that rabbit story, but, um, <laughs> so for, for the listeners that, that don't know the story, well, look, if there's any like,
2: stories you want to talk about that aren't classified, we would love to hear them. <laughs> I mean, for sure. <laughs>
0: No, we'll talk about the rabbit story for sure, because it was definitely a, a changing point in my life. Um, so for the listeners that don't know the story, my, like I said, my stepdad was from Czech Republic. So when we finally bought our own house, we had a fairly large yard. And so we had our fruits, we had our vegetables that we grew. And then he's like, all right, well, now we need some meat. And he's like, you know, in Czech, we used to eat rabbits. So we spent all this time and research into finding like what rabbits were edible and so we found them. We bought a few females, a couple males, and we started breeding rabbits. Right, and I, I'm in—I'm gonna say I'm around ten, between ten and twelve years old at the time. And so that's my chore now. You know, I have to raise these rabbits. I gotta feed them. I gotta clean the poop. I gotta put the poop in the in the manure pile, and all this other stuff that comes with the rabbits. And so I'm raising these rabbits, and then the time came around where it's it's time to kill the rabbits. So I'm thinking he's going to do it, right? And so he comes out there and he's like, all right, listen, um, I'm going to teach you how to butcher these rabbits, skin them, and and get them ready to just put in the freezer. And I was like, okay. He's like, but you got to kill them first. And I was like, well, I've never killed a rabbit before. And he's like, oh, it's, it's easy. Don't worry about it. He's like, well, let me know when you kill the first rabbit. I'll be inside. Come get me when you're done. And I'm just sitting there like, what? Well, like I've never I don't I don't think I've ever killed anything in my life, you know, I'm a kid. Um so I'm I'm looking at this rabbit that I just spent, you know, I don't know how many weeks raising. Um, so they're like my pets. <laughs> so I'm looking at this rabbit and I'm like, I don't know how to kill rabbits. So my first idea, um and this by the way, warning to to, to some of your listeners, if you know, they're faint apart, you might you might wanna mute this part, but you know, I'm sure I'll have <laughs> PETA coming after me here shortly but uh not on you know, this podcast like, no, no,
2: no, we've <laughs> done a uh, we've already done an episode with a carnivore expert so <laughs> we're oh, already perfect.
0: in their bad graces awesome so anyway so i'm like okay well I'm, i think i'm gonna try drowning the rabbit so i fill a bucket up with water i get this rabbit and you know i put him in the water and i'm holding them underwater and dude the rabbit starts going nuts i mean it is just squirming all over the place And now I'm really seeing like, Oh my God, I'm killing like a living thing right now. And I'm, I'm just holding this rabbit down for dear life. It's taking forever to drown. I'm crying, dude. Like I'm in tears. I got tears coming down my eyes and I'm just trying to drown this dang rabbit. And finally, finally, it, it, you know, it stops moving It's dead. So I go out to my dad and I was like, Hey, I killed the first rabbit and he, he can tell that I'm crying. And, um, He's like, stop crying, Fifina. So that was his nickname for me growing up with Fifina. If you don't know what that is, that's a check for, for, I don't even know if I could say that on this podcast, a pansy. That'd be like a nice way of saying it, right? Because I, I know there's kids that listen to the podcast with a pen. But it's like a nice way of saying pansy, right? Um, so he's like, stop being a Fifina. So he goes out there. He shows me how to skin this rabbit. So you know, I'm not even paying attention, dude. I'm just like traumatized. that I just drowned this rabbit. So he skins the rabbit and he's like, all right, um, let me know when you kill the next one. So now I'm out there and I had one of my fits, you know, those fits that I was telling you about when he gives me something that I, I feel like I can't do. Right. Yeah. So after I finished getting over that fit of mine, you know, I'm Start like, throwing right, some I rabbits around.
3: <laughs>
0: I'm like, okay, I got to find a different way. Drowning them. That was not the deal. So I have I a two by four and I'm like, all right, well, he said that this is one of the ways that, he used to kill him. So I grabbed this rabbit and I'm, 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 I got the two by four in my hand and I hit the rabbit upside the head, but I, I kind of half-assed it. You know, I didn't fully commit to it. So instead of killing the rabbit, now the rabbit's just yelling and screaming, making this shrieking noise. And now it's like moving all over the place. And I've got this rabbit. I'm holding this rabbit by its hind legs. It's squirming all over the place. Now I'm freaking out and I'm scared. And I'm just swinging that two by four as hard as I can, like trying to hit it, but it's squirming all over the place. And finally, like after hitting it, I don't know how many times, it finally dies. But once again, I'm traumatized. I mean, that was not the most efficient process to killing that rabbit. So I go get my stepdad, comes back out, shows me how to skin this rabbit. And then he's like, all right, let me know when you get the next one. And he's like, by the way, the third one, you're going to skin him now. You've seen it done twice, you're going to do the third one. I'm just going to watch. And on that third one, I remember sitting there and I'm looking at that rabbit and then finally I'm just like, dude, don't be a fifina." Like if I'm going to kill this rabbit, I have to 100% commit to hitting it as hard as I possibly can because that's actually going to be the most efficient way. So I remember whatever switched in me at that point, I'm like, I have to commit. I have to 100% commit. If I half-ass this, it's not going to work.
2: Default aggressive.
0: And yeah, and so I was like, all right. So I, you know, I'm petting this rabbit. I've got it by its hind legs. I take my aim and I hit it as hard as I possibly can in the back of the day with that two by four. And it was out, done, just like that. And I'm like, that's all it took. It took me being 100% committed to the process with no hesitation. And what's funny is I talk about that experience because I did some things in the SEAL teams that, quite frankly, I was scared of doing I don't know why. Um, I, I hold you. I, 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 uh, I'm
2: hold i picturing you holding a Taliban by the ankles and whacking them over the head with a two-by-four <laughs> or something like that.
0: <laughs> no, but you know what's crazy is I developed, I wasn't scared of jumping out of planes, but for whatever reason, like halfway through my career, I developed a fear of jumping. I don't know why. I just did. And so...
2: I mean, I, I can do the I math was, on why when you look out of the plane. <laughs> you can't even see the crowd. <laughs> <ground. laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, there was a little stint of, there was a, there was a period of time where there were a lot of guys getting hurt doing that. And there were a few guys that passed away. And that's when I realized like, Oh my God, like this is, this is dangerous. You know, cause when you're young, you don't think of the consequences. You're just like, Oh cool. I'm going to go jump out of a plane. And then you see like, Oh wow, this is actually pretty dangerous and I'm not invincible because you see your friends pass, you know? And I remember I was, I would be in the plane and I'd be like, Hey man, you got a 100% commit to it. If I half ass this, I'm going to hurt myself. I'm going to hurt my buddy behind me. So I have to 100% commit to jumping out of this plane. And anything I did from that point on, you know, I was like, hey, I got to commit. I got to 100% commit. If I half-ass it, somebody's going to get hurt. It's actually going to be worse. So that's where I learned to do things that I was scared of. If I was scared of doing something, I'm actually going to double down on it. And I'm going to commit 100% to doing it.
1: Absolutely. And that's, it's so critical because like you said, when, when you're when you have one foot out of the boat and one foot in the boat, it's, it's not good for anybody. It's not good for the boat or for the land. You're just going to get split and hurt. And, and that's something that, you know, in the trades, like, especially as, as guys are jumping in, like they're saying like, Hey, you know, college wasn't really for me. Maybe I'll try this. Like, We've, we've had some false starts where, you know, like people get started and then they figure out, you know, 40, 60 days in like, "Eh, I don't know if I really like this. And it's just, it's painful for everybody because we've invested, they've invested, nobody likes the outcome. And yet here we are. So how do you, how do you drive that concept? Obviously you embody that, but how do you drive that concept of commitment home to other people? you know whether it's starting a new career or adopting a, a new process that's difficult or or overcoming a challenge whatever it may look like how do you drive home the concept of commitment in your leadership training
0: so there's a section that we talk about being default aggressive right that's one of the mindsets that we teach about being default aggressive And I think sometimes when we go and we teach these workshops, people have the misconception that default is aggressive. I think they think of someone in the military, right, who's very direct, who's yelling out orders, just being aggressive with people. And I say, hey, listen, being default aggressive is not actually about being aggressive towards other human beings. Being default aggressive is simply being aggressive towards being a problem solver. If you see a problem, go fix it. If you know something needs to be done, go do it. Don't wait to be told, right? Proactively use your PPE uh, so that you don't get hurt. Proactively build relationships with people before you need them, right? Because if the first time you talk to someone from another department, division, or outside of your organization that you need them, if the first time you talk to them is when you need something from them or something has gone wrong, the, the motivation for them to help you is very low right so that's how i explain being default aggressive is being committed to the process always looking to to you're not waiting for things to happen you're making things happen right, right? so let's say for example that the supply chain is really you know jacking up orders okay hey the the wait time is going to be you know it just went from 4 weeks to i don't know let's say 3 months Okay, well, you know what? I want to be default aggressive about it. I'm going to call my customers, my regular customers, and I'm going, to, I'm going to say, hey, listen, here's what's going on. If you think you're going to need this part, I would suggest ordering ahead of time, you know, because here's the timeline that we're looking at now. And that way when they call, it's not a shock to them. They're like, wait, what do you mean it's going to be three months? Right? So I'm being default aggressive about like, okay, you know what? I can't control this, but here's what I can do about it. Right. Let's, let's say, for example, hey, listen, I can't eliminate all the risks that I come across at work, right? But here's what I can do. I can train. I can train my people. I can debrief. I can use my gear. I can do all these things to reduce the risk. And that's what I talk about when I say you're being aggressive, right? You're being aggressive towards mitigating these risks. You're making things happen. You're solving problems. You're not waiting to be told these things. And remember how I talked about at the beginning how leadership is simple, but it's, but it's not easy, Being default aggressive is not something that comes naturally to us as human beings. And the example that I give when I teach workshops, I'm like, hey, how many people here have kids? You know, and you know, a lot of people raise their hands. There's some people that don't. And I say, well, if you don't have kids, you at least know a kid somewhere. Am I correct? And yeah, everybody knows a kid. So I say, how many kids do you know? How many kids do you know will walk past a sink full of dishes and say, oh, that needs to get done. I think I'm going to go do those dishes. You know why? Because it's not natural for us. As human beings, we don't like to look at problems and take responsibility for being the ones to solve it. We don't. It's a learned behavior. And that's why we're saying like that, that default mindset, that's something that we have to cultivate and we have to train ourselves to do.
1: Right. And that's, that's so critically important. Um, especially because like you said, the default is, is typically passivity, right? I mean. Well, in my opinion, if you go back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, you know Eve gave the fruit to Adam, and Adam just stood there and said, "Okay, yeah, sure, whatever." And like I feel since then, mankind, specifically men, have been afflicted with passivity. It is our our state of default in our sinful life, and we have to we have to do everything that we can to overcome that at home, at work, at, in our physical fit condition, in our mental stability. All those thing, all those things that. That uh, are naturally telling us to just like, "Hey, you're good enough as you are." and even the world is like so big on that. you know, "Oh, you know, you're perfect in who you are." And yes, there's a positive side of that. But like, we're not satisfied. We're not OK with, with this as it is. We believe we can be better. We want to be better. We need to challenge ourselves to be better. And that starts and stops with the determination to, re, to uh, push against that passivity, to not allow it to take root and grow into something more mature is going to detrimentally affect our lives
0: yeah you're absolutely right our default is to let other people solve problems because you know what we one don't want to take the responsibility for it two we don't want to look bad if it goes bad you know that's our ego in us
1: right so as you do your leadership training so much of leadership is about perspective right it's and when you when you are a leader you're supposed to have a solid perspective or you're supposed to have you know a a the ability to look at the start and the finish and see everything in between and know which buttons to push and levers to pull. You're supposed to have more of that uh, 30,000 foot view because you have to. There's a quote that out there by a mathematician that basically says, you can't be simultaneously in the machine and understand the machine. Right? So as leaders, we need to pull ourselves out of the machine to be able to fully understand what the machine is supposed to be doing that. And part of that is gaining perspective, literally, or maybe even physically taking yourself out of the business or stepping away from the problem or trying to just get a different angle on things so you know what to do. Right now, our, our industry is going through some tough times. You know, we have, we have a, lot of, uh, a lot of people who are laid off. I mean, it's, it's winter or the middle of winter towards the end of winter. And so this is typically the time where a lot of guys are getting light on calls and uh, unfortunately this winter has been particularly warm for a lot of the country and so it's even worse and you know and we're seeing that across the country in all three trades there is a a great deficit of demand and so there's a lot of you know woe is me or downtroddenness and as leaders we want to impact in impact these people in positive ways whether they're at our own company here or listening to this podcast and we want to encourage them so what, what do you say to, you know, the challenges of life and how to overcome them, whether it's through default aggressiveness or through perspective or through just a, hey guys, you know, we'll, we'll grin and bear it. You know, how did you make it through hell week? How did you make it through those cold nights, you know, deployed and wherever you were? What did you do to keep pushing on when everything was pushing against you?
0: That's a really good question. Um, so I thought I was going to go in a different direction when you first started this question. And then you kind of started talking about, like, what got me through Hell Week? And so I'm going to change my answer up a bit. And, and hopefully this, this helps. And and I'll go back to the, the first angle that I was looking at this question from as well. But I, listen, when I was going through Hell Week, I had a couple epiphany. Um, the first one was, hey, listen, things may seem really overwhelming, right? Like if if you go up to someone and say, hey, listen, you're going to go five and a half days and you're going to sleep for two hours for that entire five and a half days and all you're going to do is physical activity for that, that time. That seems pretty overwhelming. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. It's the same thing like when you're in a business and you're looking at things and you're like, man, look at all these problems that I got. You know, business is slowing down. I got these millennials I got to deal with. I got this and I got that. I got this customer. All these things seem really overwhelming. And one thing that I learned in Hell Week was... You can't do that. You have to eat that elephant one bite at a time, right? So my mentality during whole week was, hey, listen, all I'm gonna do is I'm gonna get to, I'm gonna make it to lunchtime. That's it. I'm gonna make it to lunchtime, right? That's doable. That's realistic. Okay, cool. I made it to lunchtime. My next goal is I'm gonna make it to dinner time. And I and that's my only thought in my head is I'm gonna make it to dinner time. Um. And so the way, and and now that I make the connection to what I'm teaching, one of the concepts that we teach is this: this um, prioritize and execute, but this concept of detaching from your emotion, right? Because when you're detached from your emotions, hey, you're 31% smarter, right? Because you're seeing the bigger picture. You don't have that tunnel vision. And when I really, really saw the power of detachment was when I was an instructor at the SEAL teams. You know, we used to give these candidates these huge, complicated scenarios, and we would give them all kinds of problems at the same time, right? Hey, a pilot just crashed in the middle of the city. You need to go get them. Two of your vehicles just broke down. You need to go, you know, you need to fix one of them. Two of your guys just got shot. We would ambush them from multiple angles. Your extract point, well, we're picking you up. Yeah, totally on the other side of the city. And you would start to see all these problems start stack up one on top of the other. And when you would see this team leader become completely overwhelmed, right? Everything is going against them. They don't know what to do. And every now and then Jocko and I would go up to these team leaders and we would you know, put our hand on their shoulders and be like, Hey, you're dead. Have a seat. And so we'd give it about a minute or so, right? Cause it pissed off at us that we killed them off in the scenario because their, their friends are still going through the scenario. I'd give it about a minute or so. And then I'd sit down next to them and I'd be like, Hey, what do you think we should do right now? And I say something miraculous would always happen every time I sat somebody down because I killed them. They all of a sudden became tactical geniuses. Right. Right. They all of a sudden knew what to do. And when I say you need to detach from your emotions, you need to detach from your emotions because even though it seems very overwhelming at the time, detaching from your emotions allows you to realize, hey, what problems actually need to be solved right now? And what problems can wait until later? And what that allows you to do is it allows you to allocate your assets properly, right? Whether it's time, money, manpower, effort, whatever the case may be. So whenever you're looking at a situation, it's looking like an uphill battle. You're, looking, you're, you're feeling overwhelmed. You need to take a deep breath, relax, detach from your emotions, and ask yourself, okay, what can I do right now that will have the biggest positive impact for my team? That's the first lesson I would say that I pulled from Hell Week and then made the connection to what I'm teaching now. The second thing that I realized during Hell Week was when I was the motivator, right? When I was the person encouraging my team, looking out for them, you know, when we had like our inspections and stuff, I would make sure that my team was tight. When I was doing all of those things, when I was looking out for my team, as the boat crew leader. And listen, I became a boat crew leader by attrition, right? All the people that were above me just quit. And then it just got to the point where I was the next one in line. So I was one of the boat crew leaders. And I realized that when I was looking out for my team, I was encouraging my team. Time went by fast. And when I stopped encouraging my team, when I stopped being that rock for my team, you know what I started doing? I started feeling sorry for myself. I started feeling sorry for myself. And I started to notice that I'm actually really cold right now. I'm really tired right now. Man, I would love some sleep right now. Oh my God, I'm so sore. Oh, all this sand, it's shaped my skin down raw. I'm bleeding all over the place right now. And I was like, oh. And and for whatever reason, I used it as a a survival mechanism in Hell Week where I'm like, hey, if I'm constantly worried about my team and looking out for my team, I actually don't have time to feel sorry for myself. (laughs) And so I used it as a a survival mechanism throughout whole Week, right? I was always trying to be the motivator because I quickly realized that when I stopped looking out for my team, I started feeling sorry for myself. And that's when, you know, the thoughts of like, man, this really sucks start to creep into your head. How I relate that to what I teach now, the very first law of combat is we're building relationships with people, right? We're looking out for our team. We're building relationships with people. And through hard times, that's what's going to get you through. Is building those relationships with people because you're going to have that leadership capital with them. You're going to have that relationship with them and say, "Hey, listen, I'm not, and be honest with them. Part of the part of having a relationship with someone is being honest with them. Hey, you know what? I honestly don't know where where turbulent these turbulent times are going to take us. But here's what we can do. What do you guys think we should do? Right? So they're like, because the last thing that somebody wants is a leader who's who's kind of got that bravado and saying, yeah, I know exactly what we need to do and they don't, they actually have no clue, right? People respect someone more that's like, hey team, you know what, I'll be honest with you, I don't have an answer for this right now, but I'm gonna find out, or hey, what do you guys think we should do right now? So those are kind of the two things that come to my mind when I think about, you know, those tough times is you you actually gotta double down on these leadership principles, which is I'm building relationships with people, I'm detaching from my emotions, right? I'm being default aggressive, Okay. Well, we can't do X, Y, and Z, but what can we do right now? Oh, we got a little bit of downtime. Cool. Let's actually train our team. You know what? Let's. this is a perfect time for us to learn to build relationships with our customers, right? Because if we build relationships with our customers, guess what? They're going to love working with us. They're actually, I can tell you from my experience, I'll pay a little bit more for an electrician or a plumber if I like them. (laughs) That's just me, right? Because I, I just finished remodeling my kitchen, and so I've dealt with a lot of contractors, a lot of plumbers, and electricians. And you know, I I found the ones that I just I just really liked. Why? Because they built a relationship, they communicated effectively, and I'm like, you know what? I'll pay a little bit more to to have you as my plumber, as my electrician, as my HVAC, whatever the case may be. So you're taking the time to double down on those leadership principles, if you will.
1: I love that, Carlos. And uh, well stated. I appreciate the in-depth answer there. And the one thing that stood out to me about what you're saying there is detach from your emotions because that that small phrase right there is so critical, but so difficult. And I was just talking with some some people last night at a parenting class I'm going to, and basically the curriculum was talking about the same things. You, you make poor choices as a parent when you're emotionally invested in the discipline of your children, right? You're, you're upset at them. They've done something wrong. They've talked back to you. They didn't do their homework, whatever it is. And you know that, that fight or flight mentality just kicks off in you and in them. And of course, as a parent, you automatically go into fight. And as a kid, you don't know. Some kids will just run away and hide. And no, next mine all go all for the, the, the next to <laughs> fight, but either way, neither of you are operating in a rational state of mind. Right. And you know, because it's your kids, you know, you're looking at them saying like, you're not going to grow up this way. Like this is unacceptable. And you're, you know, I'm not going to allow this to exist when you're seven because I know the effects it's going to have on you when you're 47 and like, you're just going off. And they're like totally tuning you out because they're not; their brain hasn't even developed to a point where they can understand the logic you're saying. That same thing exists in business, you know. For a technician in the front lines, right now, you know, somebody tells them, "Hey, man, sorry, your next three calls just canceled. Uh, you got to sit tight. You know, eat lunch right now. Uh, we'll try to find you something." Or the other direction, "Hey, man, you know, three calls. You know, three guys called off today. We need you to work a double." you're gonna to have to work all night. It's Friday night and I know you had plans, but you know, it is what it is. Like these are all emotive experiences, whether they're at home or they're at work, and they cause us to get upset or frustrated or angry or any number of those things that take us out of a rational state of mind. How do we hit the pause button to actually detach from those emotions? Because once you're in it, it's so hard to get back out. Is this something we preventively do and say, Hang on, I feel anger creeping up on me right now. I need to hit a timeout, or is this something that we can do when we're already in the state of things and you know the blood is flushing to our face and we're getting upset that somebody can say, ksh, ksh, you know, hey, sl- smack out of it here, man. Like, pay attention. You know, I need you to think rationally here. What has been your experience as the most effective way of doing that? Um.
0: So let's let's start with 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 training ourselves to to be able to detach at the beginning, right? Because listen, that's always the, the better alternative because once you're in it, man, it, it's, it's hard to bring yourself out of it. Um, so I have a few things that I talk about. The first thing that I talk about is, is listen, I, I have what I like to call safeties, <laughs> right? And my safeties are in a, a related to having an accidental discharge, right? With a, with a weapon. So an accidental discharge, for those of you who don't know, it's when you pull your trigger when you didn't need to, right? And that bullet left the chamber. It's a really bad thing. Oh, oh, oh! <laughs> your I gun. Said, okay. Gotcha. Yes.
3: <laughs>
2: Sorry.
0: Yeah. I apologize. I did a poor job
2: of explaining that. <laughs> Nate yes. slid me an inappropriate sticky note here. I don't <laughs> want to talk about it on there. <laughs> Continue, please. <laughs> he said he has this problem all the time with his guns.
0: So. <laughs> I get where you're going with that, but I'm talking about uh, actual firearm, right? In the military, if you have a firearm, you got your weapon there's a thing called an accidental discharge, which is basically you pulled the trigger when you weren't supposed to, and the bullet left the chamber and it wasn't supposed to. And, you know, listen, once that bullet leaves the chamber, you can't get it back. And I used to tell my team, hey, listen, accidental discharges happen with your mouth as well, right? When you get frustrated, when you get pissed off, and you say things, the words that come out of your mouth, you can't take those back. So one of the things that I talk about is, you know, you have a safety for a gun. Hey, Try to figure out some safeties for yourself. Like if somebody says something that stirs up some emotion in you, hey, you got to have safeties. My personal safety is if somebody says something to me that I know stirs up some emotion in me, my, my answer is, hey, man, that's, that's a lot for me to take in. Do you mind giving me a minute to process that? Because I want to give you a good answer because I think you deserve it. And you can see the look on their face like, whoa, that's not what I was expecting, right? Because they're expecting you to come back hard at that. And so what that does is, one, it slows me down. It allows me, it reminds me, okay, I need to detach from my emotions. And it slows that other person down as well. Um, another thing that I talk about in terms of training yourself to detach is, is knowing what your red flags are. You know, everybody's different. And everybody's red flags, you know, are, are different. Um, we have an instructor here at Echelon Front. He, he grew up with a speech impediment. And he knows that when he starts to stutter, that's his, that's his cue to detach. For me, I shut down, dude. I become really quiet. I, I stop engaging and I have the screaming thought in my head. I, I don't know what to do right now. And so you got to find out whatever it is for you, right? Maybe your face gets flushed. Maybe your eyes get watery. Maybe you clench your jaw. Maybe you become uh, offended, right? Because a lot of times we get offended over things, over things that people say to us. And if we truly just take the time to detach, we realize that the way this other human being is acting, it has, a, it has almost nothing to do with you and everything to do with them. Right, but we take it personally, we take it personally because we're humans and we're emotional, and we get we go into that fight scenario. Um, once you're already in it, actually, let me back up. There's one more that I want to talk about in terms of training yourself to detach is debriefing. I talk about debriefing a lot, right? We can debrief with our team. Hey, you know what? this call with this customer, you know this customer started complaining about this and that and okay, cool, let's debrief that conversation. Not only are we going to debrief that conversation, let's role play it. Let's role play it how we wish we would have done it. Because here's what happened. You're going to come across another difficult customer. And next time you come across that customer, guess what that, that team member of yours is going to do? They're going to recognize. They're going to recognize where that conversation started going wrong because you've actually practiced it. See, the problem is we go into these conversations and we've never practiced things, right? We don't actually take the time to process that. Because these conversations that we're having, they're just patterns. They're just patterns. And the better you become at pattern recognition, the better you're going to become at realizing when that conversation is about to go south. So debriefing. And then debriefing with yourself. Like after you've had a conversation that maybe didn't go the way that you wanted it to, actually take the time to process that conversation, right? Pull the lessons out of that conversation because I guarantee you that you're going to have another difficult conversation or another uncomfortable conversation in the future. And you're going to be able to recall the things that you thought about and you processed it. Now, once you're already in it, right, you're already in a little bit of a tailspin, my best advice is you got to remove yourself from the scenario, even if it's momentarily. So let's say, for example, that I'm in a team room and we're planning out a mission. Listen, I always say that one of my biggest challenges as a leader of the SEAL Platoon was, listen, you're leading 26 guys with egos the size of China, right? everybody's idea is the best. Everybody's a good idea fairy. And sometimes these, these discussions about the mission planning, they get pretty heated. They get pretty heated because everybody's got their own opinions and everybody feels very strong about their opinions. And so I'll be like, hey, fellas, you know what? Let's take a break. Let's go grab some dinner. Everybody go grab dinner and reconvene here at whatever time, right? Because usually we're planning our missions out for nighttime. Or hey, let's get a quick workout in or even better yet, if the mission's not happening tonight. Hey, let's come back tomorrow and talk about this. So physically removing yourself from that situation momentarily. And there's nothing wrong with doing that in a conversation. Like, hey, listen, can you just can you just give me a minute? Because I don't think this conversation is very productive right now. And I personally just need a minute because I do want to solve this problem. But I don't think I'm in the best state of mind to do it right now. Right? So those are all like things that I've come up with or that I do personally to, to try to, one, detach before that situation gets to that certain point. And two, to try to bring myself out of that tailspin once I've done it. Because listen, man, it's hard. It's hard because we're human beings and I teach this stuff for a living and I still fall short of it all the time, especially at home. That's actually where it's the hardest to apply these principles is at home because you're the closest to the problem and you care the most at home.
1: Right. And I think that's. That's so true, because you know the like you said, the emotions of dealing with whether it's your your spouse or your children you know you want so much uh in terms of your kids, you want so much for them to grow up and have you know all the fruits of the labor that they put in, whether it's learning to be honest or to be kind or to work well with a team or. You know, to be a problem solver, to not be an excuse maker, to not be a whiner, to not be you know all these things, and you're like, you just need to, you need to understand this now because it's going to have impact on you later in life. And man, is it, is it difficult to hit the pause button in those moments and say, "Hang on, let's let's slow down here." In fact, the training that I was at last night uh, was talking about how a lot of times, you know, parents will choose to get fast, loud, and large, right, and and that's like our method of discipline because, you know, as as kids, they're, they're, it's, it's intimidating. Like a a large and loud and fast person is intimidating and the encouragement was to get low, slow and listen. Um, And the, the outcome will be much more positive in terms of not only them learning and complying, but you not living with the regret of like, Oh man, I just overdid it again.
0: Yeah. And and listen, one of the things that, that, that kind of, helped me a lot, because listen, I grew up in a household where my dad yelled a lot, right? He had a very bad temper, he yelled a lot, and so that's how I grew up thinking that you were supposed to be, right? That's how you establish dominance, that's how you show your masculinity, that's how you show that you're the boss, that you're in charge, that you're a leader, and it wasn't until like I got to the SEAL teams, and you know, I remember the very first gunfight that I got into, and so when I, you know, I hear the gunshots, and I'm thinking, all right, You know, I got super ramped up, and I remember feeling like all the blood just rushing through me, all the adrenaline. And then I heard my team leader come over the radio, and he was calm as ice, as if nothing were happening. Like it was just another day at the office. And I remember listening to his voice and almost immediately calming down and thinking to myself, oh, is this how I'm supposed to act during a gunfight? I didn't even know that. And so, I listen, I already had a ton of respect for this particular team leader, but seeing how calm he was during, during a gunfight, right, had this huge impression on me where it's like, whoa, I want to be that way. I want to be cool, calm, and collected during times of turbulence, you know, where everybody else is panicking. I want to be that, that calm because, listen, calm is contagious. And it goes the other way as well, right? If, if you're not calm, and if you're, you're spastic and you're all over the place. Yeah. Cha- chaos too.
1: is contagious as well, right?
0: Yeah. Chaos is contagious, but so is calm. And so, you know, one of the things that I thought about is, you know, when I lost my temper and I was emotional about things, I took the time to process that. You know why? Because I didn't like the way I felt about myself afterwards, Right. I always say, hey, I can't think of a single time in my life where I lost my temper, I became pissed off and emotional, and then I was super proud of what I either said or did afterward. It was never good. <laughs> and so I take the time to, to to have that sick feeling in my stomach. Because you feel sick afterward. You know what I'm talking about. When you said something that you just knew you shouldn't have, or you did a you did a bonehead move because you were emotional about it and then afterwards you're like, dang it. Why did I do that? Oh, yeah. You pissed at yourself. Yep. And so I say, hey, take that time to really process that and, 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 and really take the time to, to let it, that feeling of, of anger at yourself sink in. And it was that feeling that I hated feeling. So from that point on, I was like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a breath. I'm going to take a moment. I'm going to detach because last time I did this, I really didn't like the human that I was. And I think about that with my son. Right. I'm like, hey, I want my son to see someone who's cool, calm, and collected. Even when he does something that I know pissed me off, <laughs> he needs to see that this is actually how you deal with hardship. This is how you deal with, you know, turbulence or chaos is is calm. That's what's gonna get you through the other side of the storm.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And man, Carlos, the time is just flying by here and as we bring things in for a landing, I'm sure our listeners have been engaged this whole time in what you're saying and and who you are and your story and everything. If people are interested in learning more about Carlos Mendez or about Echelon Front, uh, where is the best place to find those resources?
0: Yeah. So you can just go to echelonfront.com if you want to look at all the different leadership uh, trainings that we have. I mean, we have a ton of stuff. So you don't have, your company doesn't have to bring us in. Like there's individual events that we do as well that you can come. We have what's called a muster twice a year, which is a two day leadership conference where individuals from man, every industry you can think of, right. They come to this conference, the two day leadership conference. It's, it's pretty amazing. Um, in terms of myself, Hey, uh, I'm kind of new to the, to the social media game. Cause I've never owned social media before, but I do have one now. Um, so it's, Carlos underscore Mendez underscore two, four, six. I think it is. Um, so those are the two places where you can, you know, reach out to Echelon which, Front. Which platform is heart. that? Which platform is that it's, on Carlos? Sorry. See, this is how
3: new I am to it. It's Instagram. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> it's
2: it's also I, I'll throw out there because I get so just a ton out of it and did before I joined a service with uh, Echelon Front, which is a free newsletter. It's weekly. You don't, you don't have to pay for anything. And and the, what you get out of this newsletter is ridiculous. It's, it's so rich, uh, in terms of leadership, but in, in all facets, really, even like physical fitness and stuff, there's just always something in there. I would highly recommend probably just echelonfront.com, right?
0: Yeah. Echelonfront.com. And you can also follow echelonfront on, on Instagram as well, right? We're always posting small videos about different leadership principles and the different events that we got going on, you know, those are always fun to watch as well. I, my personal favorite is I like watching Q and A, right. Cause you know, uh, each instructor has their own, the principles are the same, but they, they approach it from a completely different angle. And I always enjoy seeing the different angles that these instructors answer these questions from. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome.
2: Yeah. And so I'll tell you, Service Minds is one of the, um, one of the companies in our brand one hour, Ben Franklin, Mr. Sparky. It pretty much has the whole state of Florida. As far as I know, um, it's a $200 million branch and you know, they're, this is what they're doing. They're having guys like Carlos Mendez with echelon front out to train their leadership team. I can't stress this kind of thing enough, but definitely start with a free newsletter and see what you get out of it. It's going to be, it's going to be revolutionary for you, for the business, for you and your truck, for you and your personal life. This, um, Echelon front stuff is the real deal.
1: So Carlos, as we wrap up here, um, one thing that we know in the trades is despite the weather and despite uh, the current trends, spring is coming. And I mean that literally as much as I do figuratively, uh, there's, there's always the other side of the coin and, and things will turn around. And so that's one thing that, you know, I believe that we're, we're hoping for and, you know, the rest of the country is hoping for in terms of demand and you know more calls and and need in the field and everything, but for right now, when we're sitting in this this uncertainty, this place of unknown, or you know maybe even uh, scared or, or feeling a little anxious, those types of feelings are creeping in. I'm sure you've encountered you know similar seasons, whether it's been in in actual deployment or whether you've seen it in echelon front in training of businesses that are struggling or those types of things what are the things we should be focusing on now? How can we keep ourselves motivated? How can we keep our teams motivated? You know, when you were a boat crew leader, you said that you found if you, if you weren't encouraging, you were looking down on yourself, but who was encouraging you? And like, how did you keep that, that self-governed uh, mentality going, especially when things were tough and looking down? So what do you say to, you know, our industry as a whole right now, who's feeling a little bit, a little bit low, uh, that keep going, there's something better happening.
0: Yeah. So when I think about this, I, I think about, um, <clears throat> you know, when, when I was in the steel teams, when I first came into the steel teams, you know, it was a time of war. So we were really busy. And so we went on deployments, we did missions. And what's funny is I came back from college. There was, there was no more war. And so guys were really demotivated, right? Like, well, why should we train? You know, we're not going to war. We're just going to go sit in Guam somewhere. We're just going to go sit, in, you know, UAE somewhere. And those are the times where I'm like, hey, listen, you never know, right? You never know. And everything is a pendulum. Everything is a cycle. So, you know, you're going to have those times where it's feast and you're going to have times where it's it's famine and it's what you do during that famine time that's going to separate you from your competitors when that feast time comes around. Right, so if you're taking advantage of the time, if you're detaching from your emotion, and asking yourself, okay, what can I do right now? What can I, how can I be default aggressive? You know what? We're not really busy right now. Maybe I'll revamp my accounting system because it's really old and outdated. Maybe I'll take the extra time to train my team, and we're going to do some role plays on how to, to how to deal with a difficult customer. Maybe we're going to get you know some more training in on how to do I don't know X, Y, and Z without knowing the, the specifics of what it is that you're all doing. I'm looking for ways to take advantage of that time regardless. And I'm telling my team, hey, listen, the things that we do now, that's what's going to separate us from the competition when that time actually comes. Okay. What we do during the time of famine is going to determine what how we do during time of feast. And it's a pendulum. It's not going to be like this forever. So you're basically being that detached piece for your team. You're being that buffer. And, and, and you're, you're telling them, okay, listen, this is the direction that we're going to go in. If we're not busy, here's what we're going to do. Or, hey, listen up, team. What are your ideas? You got any ideas as to what we should be doing right now? So, I mean, I'm, I'm looking for all the things and all, all the ways that I could be productive during that time. Understanding and letting my team understand that it's a pendulum. It was the same thing with the rules of engagement, right? That's actually a perfect example. Listen when the first when the war first kicked off the rules of engagement were were, were in our favor right we could you know they were they're very beneficial to us and then a, a new leadership came in and the rules of engagement sucked they were really really difficult for us to be able to do our job and i would tell these guys hey listen the, the rules of engagement it's a, it's a pendulum and sure enough new leadership came in and it went right back to how it used to be and you guys are going to have to have those times too and realize, especially for the younger guys that haven't seen the season, right? They haven't seen good times. They haven't seen the bad times. They've kind of only are experiencing the bad times right now. And just tell them like, Hey, listen, it, it'll be here. The question is, are we going to, are we going to be ready once it's here? Cause you know, you know the deal. Like, Hey, once it's feast time, if you didn't take advantage of that time where you guys were slow and you weren't training, now you're running into all these problems where now you're overwhelmed, Right because you didn't take the time to train in leadership. You didn't take the time to train in customer service. You didn't take the time to train them to actually be good at their profession. So hopefully that helps.
1: Absolutely. And that's a great place to leave it, Carlos. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk to our audience and us about all these great leadership uh, conversations and concepts. Uh, We so greatly appreciate that as well as the service that you've provided to our country. And we are certainly grateful for that as well.
0: No, well, thank you for having me on. I appreciate on I'm that you guys would think of me as a guest. I appreciate
2: that. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. And we'd love to have you back on. And like I said, uh, shoot me a text anytime you want to have us promote something. I'm I'm assuming the book is coming out really soon. So we'd love to have you back on and talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> At least thanks, you've, you've thought it. about
0: writing it now, right? I actually have no desire to write a book, to be honest <laughs> with you. <laughs> I have a
2: desire to read your book, Loves. So if you could make that happen, that would be great. Let somebody else write it. All right, sounds good. All right, thanks, man.
1: Hey, that's a wrap for this podcast. I hope you enjoyed this two-parter. What an incredible uh, man, and uh, everything that he's bringing to the table is just so on point. Uh, whether it's you know encouraging us through the the downtimes, the feast and famine, or whether it's talking about how to detach your emotions, or whether it's talking about you know the commitment to default aggression, whether you want to get out there and make something of yourself, but. I don't know if you're going through a slow time right now, or maybe you're one of the lucky ones who has more business than you know what to do with. Either way, always be looking to improve. Always be looking to grow. If it's slow and you got, you got time on your hands, don't waste it. That is, that is the biggest mistake you can make right now is to just sit back and relax. It's time to get fit so that when the race gun goes off, you are ready for the action. We hope that whatever it is that you're dealing with right now, you are overcoming and we hope that this podcast is a part of what it takes to make that happen on a daily basis. We're so thankful for everything that you do for us as a listening audience. And if you're enjoying the show, leave us a review. We would sure love to hear your comments and uh, to boost those ratings so that we can continue sharing this type of content with anybody who is interested. That's a wrap for this show. And we want to leave you with our weekly challenge. And of course, uh, we appreciate Carlos being on. And he is certainly somebody who embodies the idea that we want to do here, which is to choose to wake up every single morning and waste no day.